0: I thought I would just bring uh, just a few thoughts from uh, a passage from the Old Testament from Judges chapter 3 uh, verses 12 to 30. Um, I hope this blesses you, hope it provokes you, hope it reminds you, I uh, hope it speaks to you. Just a few brief thoughts for about 10 minutes or so. Okay? Um, we'll read it together. Uh, once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies, and then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, be quiet, and he sent them all out of the room. Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room. And Ehud said, I have a message, God, uh, from, have a message from God for you. And as Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle dis- disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using a latrine in his room, so they waited. But when the king didn't come out, after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. While the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sarah. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River, across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied, able-bodied warriors, not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land uh, for 80 years. What I wanted to do was to just share a few questions with you this morning. Um, I want you to imagine that as a nation state of Israel, that that's you as a person. Uh, in the Old Testament, sometimes God uses illustrations of different things to represent things. Uh, and I think it's a viable, there's a viable case to say that if we treat Israel like a person or like a man, there are some great lessons for us as men from this story. It's a particularly grisly story, and it's a you know, much-loved favourite of uh, 12-year-old boys who point to it at the back of uh, a boring sermon, and go, oh, look at that, you know, kind of thing. It's a great, great men's breakfast story, and uh, I did actually feel a bit of a prompting to, uh, to bring it. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I hope it, hope it blesses you. So there's six questions, very briefly to provoke you, to prompt you, to get you thinking. First question, have we permitted something to rule over us that should not be there because of our own wrongful behaviour? So that opening verse, it says, once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. You know, if you give uh, permission to the wrong things enough, and frequently and over time, those wrong things start to rise up. In priority in your life They start to take control They start to have influence uh, And it, I think it's right to say If we give complete permission To the wrong things They end up becoming the king Those things become the thing That rule over us And so we need to ask ourselves like, have we, Is there anything that we're giving permission to uh, That is starting to have Sway and influence over us Or a rule over us That it shouldn't have uh, It says in Romans that we've got like Basically we have a slavery to Either to God or to evil. There's no, choice, there's no freedom as such in the sense of, you know, oh, I'm just completely independent of either of those things. No, we're either under the, the lordship of God or the, under the lordship of the wrong stuff. And, and, and the Israelites had got themselves into trouble over a long period of time doing the wrong thing. And guess what? God gave them over to that and said, well, that's what you're worshipping. That's what you're putting first. So that's what's going to be ruling now. So that's the opening context for Uh, this story of of, uh, Eglon. So have we permitted something to rule over us that should not be there because of our own wrongful behaviour? Question number two, are we prepared to ask God for his help? Uh, It says here, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Uh, I don't know what kind of person you are, whether you're a person that is able to listen to someone else and get feedback from them and go, oh, that's really wise, I'm going to do that. Or you're the sort of person that has to go to the bottom of the pit ...to find out for yourself just how rubbish it is... ...and then climb out with God's help. I think we're probably in one of two camps, aren't we, as men? Uh, I don't know which you are. I'm probably the sort of person that has to go to the end of something... ...and find out how truly rubbish it is before I realise that God's good. And I'd certainly say that that was true of my life before I became a Christian. Are we prepared to ask God for his help? Do we have that humility on the inside of us that says... ...no, I really have made a mess of this and I need you to help me, God? And what we see is the nation of Israel... Obviously, under pressure from uh, uh, King Eglon uh, and finding it absolutely awful, beginning to pray and beginning to go, God, this is rubbish. Please, would you help us? Because they're hating it. So are we like that? Is that something that we're doing? So are we prepared to ask God for his help? Third question. Is there something quirky or unusual about us that God can use? Notice this. He is a left-handed man. Why has the Bible pointed that out to us? Why is that even included in there? I don't think there's anything wasted in God's word. What is the deal with left-handedness? Well, I've done a bit of research on this and there's a few different schools of thought. Left-handed people were considered potentially not to be quite as blessed as right-handed They were viewed with perhaps with some suspicion. That's one school of thought. Another school of thought says that in the translation of the Hebrew, it was that the right hand for for this particular description, that the right hand had um, a voluntary uh, disability or handicap placed on it in order to make the left hand more functional and better as as a specific military advantage. Now, I think there's quite a little bit of support for this, because if you look in Judges chapter 20, verse 16, there's a whole group of guys who've got left hands, who, who can use slings, and they're absolutely deadly. And it's, it's almost as though they've been built up into the army to have an unfair advantage, because the enemy is not expecting them to use their left hands to deliver uh, this uh, competitive advantage in a warfare situation. And I think that there's some mileage to this uh, viewpoint. There's a number of different views, and I think this is a, a, a good... A good viewpoint, because if you think about it, if you're expecting most of your fighting people to be right-handed, when you do a security check, as they must have done, but not very well, uh, when uh, Ehud arrives to, uh, to bring the tribute, uh, they would have checked left legs for weapons. <coughs> if you're right-handed, you're going to go to your left leg or your left side for a weapon. Yeah? So if you're left-handed and you've got a weapon in here, which is what the story says, no one's expecting that. And so the lesson out of that is, is there something quirky, something different, something that is a little bit special about you that you can bring, that God can use for his glory, that maybe isn't expected? Maybe there are some talents in this room that are very unusual. You know, maybe maybe there's somebody in the room that's like an incredibly skillful risk assessor or somebody that does something really weird and you ask them, you're like, they have to explain it to you, but it is unusual, don't be thinking that because you've got something unusual or quirky about yourself that you can't be used by God. In fact, this story would say quite the opposite. I want to use the, the unusual and the quirky for my glory. Does that make sense? You with me so far? So is there something quirky or unusual about us that God can use? Question four, and I've only got six. Um, is there something holding sway in us that we just need to deal with ruthlessly? Um, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled the dagger uh, strapped to his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. It's a pretty grisly image. Uh, And what I think the Lord might be saying to us as men now is, is there something that's going on in our lives that we absolutely have to put to death? We have to stop it and kill it and be ruthless about it. And we just deal with it. You know, there's a part in every man that knows how to do the really hard thing when the crunch comes. I believe that. I absolutely believe it. When the crunch comes, when when we're we're called up to fight, when we're called to do something really difficult, when we're called to man up and do something for our family, when we're called to to do something incredibly important in our workplace, there's a little bit on the inside of a man that goes, I'm just going to do this. This has to be done. It runs like fire through your veins, you just know it and you're going to do it. And I think that spiritually this is what's going on here in this story. Now it's portrayed for us in this particularly grisly story. I get it. But is there something on the inside of us that we know is evil and wrong and not right that we've permitted to become a little fat king in a a particular place and we just need to kill it and walk away from it and it's never alive again? Yeah, it says in the New Testament, we need to crucify... Well, Jesus crucified sin on the cross for us, but we need to lay down our sin. And I think it's stronger than that. I think we need to actually kill sin. We need to put it to death and not give it any permission. That's what I think the significance of this is. Question number five. Is there something from God that we now need to start following? Have you noticed in here it says, um, uh, Ehud escapes up into the hill country v. frame, and then he calls all of his uh, uh, Israel together, and he says, Follow me. For the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. And that's, not a fu- that's, that's a great type of Christ in the Old Testament. Follow me, Jesus says. For the Lord's given you victory over Satan. Yeah? Is there something we need now... If we've killed that thing, is there now something that we need to start following properly in God? Is he giving us a direction to go after, perhaps along with other godly men, that will... Take us in, in a new direction to a place of freedom. Is that something we need to go and do now? Those Israelites all gathered together, they were just waiting for a leader to appear, and, and he appeared and he, he, he brought freedom for them, and they gathered around him and off they went, and they, and, and they achieved something together. Is there something from God that we now need to start following? Number six, and the last question interesting point here do we need to be super vigilant about our boundaries? Notice at the end here, it says, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. The Jordan was the boundary between their country and the kingdom of Moab. And they just decided nothing is getting through. And if you attempt to get through, you're going to be slaughtered. And that's the end of it. And in the end, there were 10,000 of the Moabite soldiers who they got they got killed. And for me, I think there's, a, there's a, a great message in just that point alone of what is it that we're permitting in and out? What are we letting in to our hearts and minds? What are we issuing out from our hearts and minds and from who we are? What influence and atmosphere are we carrying around that's exuding to other people? And do we, have we really looked at what it is we permit around us? Are we permitting some wrong things? Are we being a bit sloppy about what happens in our household? Have we got super good control of our internet at home, gents? Have we done it for our kids? Have we got good control of that? Have we got good boundaries around what we permit in terms of speech in our workplaces? Are there things we need to be super vigilant around in terms of boundaries?